Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we're going to talk about what it means when we say that was like a novel or like a movie. And you will give us a little more context about that. Nope. Okay. <laughs> but first, what are you working on? Well, I just got back from traveling to Palm Springs with you for a film festival. Hello, Cinemaverse. Thank you for hosting us. <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. And um, really, we're in the middle of that film festival because you're headed back again for your screening on Friday, mm-hmm. September 27th. So anyone in the Palm Springs area or who wants to drive four hours from L.A. or whatever, uh, 5 p.m. is it? Mm-hmm. 5 p.m. At, at the Mary Pickford and Cathedral City. Yeah, Cathedral City. So come on out and meet Angie and see Lost in the Middle. Woohoo! Yeah. Is there anyone out there in the Palm Springs area? We will find out. Meanwhile, um, that kind of slowed me down a little, but I am continuing to read through and organize those last, like the order of my scenes so that I can send the thing off again. Yeah. I am working on um, doing some sort of personal systems improvement. And I was like, oh, I'm going to finally finish editing the short film that I shot earlier this summer. And then I looked at my week. (laughs) So uh, it's really about right now clearing the decks and making space for that focus time. Sounds awesome. All right. So here's what happened. Um, One is, oh, I read Tara Westover's book, Educated, a while ago, a little while ago, and then I actually saw she and Cheryl Strayed were here in Sonoma County last week. So I went to that. That was really fabulous. And one of the things I was saying about Educated to my class is it reads like a novel. And so one of my... So it's a memoir. It's a memoir, but it reads like a novel. And so one of my students said, wow, I'd love you to to work up a craft class about you know, how to make something read like a novel. And then, so th- then I was thinking about that. Then I was thinking, and sometimes, you know, and then I was, th- and I was thinking about documentaries as well mm-hmm. that, that um, feel like, uh, you know, feel like they sweep you into the narrative, right? There's something, there's sort of factual. Well, we saw a great example of that in, Palm at the Springs. Palm Springs opening night. Uh, the film they showed was For They Know Not What They Do. For They Know Not What They Do. And so it's not out yet, and it's going to be definitely playing at different festivals. If you see that, definitely hop onto it. But just from a story uh, craft level, one aspect, uh, it's a multi, there's multiple narratives that run through it, but there's one narrative that is super striking and actually is a great example of the kind of story like the concise story solidity shaping yeah. sort of that is required when you're taking something true and making it as compelling as a story where you don't have to stick to the facts. How do you, you know, how mm-hmm. do you do that? Right. So that's sort of one piece. And then I was thinking about when I tell people what my book's about, I very often get, that sounds like a movie. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I sort of was like holding that up against, Ooh, that's like a novel. And, ooh, that's like a movie. And what does that mean? And it made me that they're not all that related, they're, but it's sort of an interesting thing when when the commentary on one genre is that it is like another. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted us to talk about that and, and then specifically to think about what does like a novel mean and what does like a movie mean. And then I want to maybe explore this other idea, which is I think 
right now we're in a situation where people are from the business side looking to sell in multiple media streams. So if you have something that someone could conceive in another genre, right, is that helpful to you or is it actually maybe draining or softening the the power of the genre to have it cross well, too much? Well, it's funny because um Annie Dillard in The Writing Life, a now, you know, a classic, mm-hmm. um talks about how sad it sort of is when it, when you feel like a book was written to be a movie. And she says, um, she sort of says, nobody ever read because they were too lazy to turn on the television. <laughs> right. And talks about the kind of the, the, was it the monkey that will, like that will go, that will chew, or maybe it's a butterfly, whatever. Cause I'm confusing a couple different studies, but like that, that will choose the, the giant painted fake, version over the the real one like in some study some animal wow that is just super, nailing super it specific. Su- yeah very yeah, specific. and i can't even say that'll be in the show notes because it's so vague but although something you- happened where someone had a study <laughs> with something big and something real and turns out the big thing won yeah that's really you got it. I have to say. Anyway, it's actually. I feel like in, maybe we could make a series of, of, you know, we could. So a giant. It's in the writing life. So read the writing life by Annie Dillard. Or we can see if we can find. What I you're could find about. it, but then what? Not right now. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> so, point it's is, it's like we'll fix it in post. The point is, so there's that sort of disparagement, mm-hmm. and at the same time, I think a lot of people are really engaged in many different forms of story consumption at this point and um you know and thinking and people are thinking about writing for example the television they'll be like oh that was a really well written show so it's sort of interesting what do they mean and well that's right so so uh, well let's i mean i can say what i think but you could say what you think and then that's sort of how this works yeah, no, I, I wasn't actually asking you in that moment. No, I was just no. reflecting back what we're about to head into. Right. Here we go. And if you can't tell, we're a little bit tired today. Yes, so we're, we're maybe a little bit from- less, <laughs> less spiraling upward and more just spiraling out. So um, well, why don't you talk about what you meant when you said this like particular memoir read like a novel. Okay. So first of all, I think that it had to do with... Um, the narrative distance. So she um, is telling, obviously, the real Tara Westover is, you know, I don't know, nigh on to 30, perhaps. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. But you know what I mean? She, so she's writing the story after. It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> you can look at it. Just Google it. Anyway, Tara Westover wrote this book. You know, she's the, she's ostensibly the character, but she's also the writer, right? And, but she's, but she didn't, but she doesn't narrate it. I mean, she... T- oh, okay. <laughs> so good. Um, so, of course, she's she narrates it, but she um, she gets... You get very close to the character, and you're in that thing kind of wondering if she's going to get out. Like, go mm. sort of scene by scene, you're, you know, you're in so the So there's journey. a narrative question that is driving the story. Right. And so, um, and it feels... And in this case, I didn't read it, so you, I'm, I'm just yeah. positing back to you. In this case, the driving narrative question is, will she get out of a particular will situation? Will she survive? Will she survive? Will she survive? Okay. 
to not even, so it's life or death. It's yeah. a high stakes. And even though you know she's the actual person writing it, you're still sort of there wondering. Maybe, maybe so on less, some level, how will she yeah. survive? But, but you know, where, where, where a certain kind of memoir that is less narratively dramatic um, might have a, a harder time isolating specific scenes, might generalize more, might, um, I mean, might, you know what I mean? Like say, okay, this is what like life was like. And it's vivid, you know, vivid summary, mm-hmm. but, um, but harder to isolate specific scenes. So, I mean, the other thing about Tara Westover is she journaled a lot. So she was able to sort of have kind of have a reference, rebuild this story. I mean, I don't know all her behind the scenes techniques, but that is for me what it, why it read like a novel is because I, I really invested in the character and the... But then compared to, say, Mary Carr's Lit. Okay. Did you not feel like you were not connected to the... I mean, that, I mean these are all very strong memoirs, right? Wild and yes. all of that. But, um... I mean, did Wild read like a novel? Yeah. Did Lit read like a novel? Um, it's been a longer time since I read Lit, and I didn't sort of study it. How about like Glass Castle? Wild, but, um... Whoa. How about Glass Castle? Glass Castle. Um, so I'm just thinking about that. Uh, in some ways, Glass Castle did read like a novel. Um, and Lit, Lit, I remember so vividly that that the the first, you know, whatever it is, the prologue, mm-hmm. the very first intro. Here are the six problems had, I have, yes. It had, you know, so you were talking about Blake Snyder's Six Things in Need of Fixing. And I went and found that in that, like, two or three-page prologue, she lists exactly six things in need of fixing in her life, kind of going in. She's a great storyteller, um, and and it's full of all these pieces, but it doesn't have the same kind of linear journey. I mean, it it is a journey. It's definitely a journey, and I want to, like, say, take everything I say with a grain of salt because I'm just kind of recalling across time, which is not always a strength. All right, so let me just kind of isolate some questions. We're going to do a little... Novel Neener. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, Neener is a game where you're saying this or that, and you kind of go through a variety of options till you, you rather. Yes. So for when we talk about what makes something a novel, when you are using that phrase, because I realize the breadth of what actually constitutes a novel is massive. Right. So I'm just talking about that thing that inspires that reaction. Right. All right. Driving plot or um, chronology? Well, plot in the way you talk about plot, like a like rooted in character, like a character with a limiting belief who um, has to struggle mm-hmm. and who struggles through a series of causally related events and changes. Okay. So when you are talking about something feeling like a novel, part of it is that. So there's this emotional logic that follows through. Yeah. And I will also say, I mean, there's a level at which just the language, the creation of scene, the interiority, the way the interiority plays, I think, is part of it. So that it's not, it doesn't pull me way back Mm -hmm. and go, okay, like I'm... I'm the important narrator of this memoir, and I have lots to say about my life, and so I'm going to pull way back and say those things, even brilliantly. Maybe like an intimacy, then. 
but also just staying right up against the pulse of the story. I mean, there might be things that memoir can do, and a novel might be like a memoir, and maybe even in a complementary sense when it does these things, but where where it is more of that kind of dialogue with the the conscious, you know, like an so, essayist. Okay, so you're saying sort of there's an emotional distance, and when you talk about a novel, it has less emotional distance when you're talking about when you're or perspective, not not necessarily emotional. But for example, The Argonauts is one of my favorite books mm-hmm. by Maggie Nelson. It'll be in the show notes. And it is not like a novel to me. It has some novelistic scenes. Like there right. are definitely some of those things. But she's a brilliant thinker and she uses the form memoir to bring in the lyricism of poetry, to bring in theory and ideas in conversation with life. Mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic book. Um, it doesn't feel like a novel to me. So, so do you see what I mean? I'm, I still love it. I love it so much. <laughs> but it's not like a novel, even though it has certain aspects of character development and story. But it okay. does these other things. And some novels now do these other things, but in that way they're being like a memoir, memoir <laughs> or an essay. Or nonfiction, right? Right. So, so I... Th- Exactly, yeah. exactly. There are novels that sort of go toward discussions of ideas and things like that. But they do seem they're sort of... I'm going to keep pushing you. Okay. I'm going to keep pushing you to get to a place where we're getting a little more concrete. Because when I'm using the word intimacy or closeness, you kind of keep pushing back on me. And so when we talk about maybe what, what the intellectual focus is... So in a novel, it's very emotional most of the time, right? When we're talking a story, right. it's and an it's emotional And it's laid thing. out in, in sort of... In emotion. And in, and in real time. I mean, not that you have to go from moment A, like, all the way to moment Z, chronologically and in real time. But you hit the key points, the key causal mm-hmm. points, in a certain amount of real time. Does that make sense? So you, you open scenes and then... Yeah, they, but you do that in a memoir... Well, I mean, of course you do. I mean, think about Glass Castle and that vivid scene of her being, you know, kidnapped from the hospital after a burning. So, okay. So I also love Glass Castle. It's a beautifully written book. It's incredibly vivid. And I've also read it a while ago, but much of it is very vivid to me. It's not as causal. No, that's true. It's really more episodic. And in fact, the chapters are are organized a little bit thematically. Mm -hmm. They also, you know, it is her life and it's building and there is a kind of a driving question of like, how are they going to survive? Maybe that's a theme in memoir. (laughs) Um, But... Because really it's, you know... Again, there are the stakes, so it's it's kind of funny because there's, you know, I think so much of what we write about when we talk about like meaning or stakes or we almost can't imagine things having value below life or death mm. sometimes. Right, so right. I think, um, I actually think that's part of what's at the root of our superhero, you know, blockbuster glut right now is that we have these stories and yes they're very human and you know there's all these things and at the same time i think there's sort of a failure of imagination that's happening the the smaller stakes yeah things but right it, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but anyway so that's why i think actually that's a great example glass castle um is a little bit episodic now so is Swamplandia. I mean, they, in some ways, they, those those two books, Glass Castle and Swamplandia, Swamplandia being a novel, Glass Castle a memoir, have some similarities to me. Both of them have really out, like wild, outlandish. I have not 
read Swamplandia in a while, so I, I can't remember, but I don't think it is episodic. Well, it's, it's so the mother's died, right? Yes. Early on, we sort of learn that the mother has died and the family's sort of falling apart. So there's definitely that drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and like Glass Castle, they're in this kind of pretty extreme, dire situation for a long time. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there's a way in which late in the book, this sort of engine of story starts with the with the sister and the guy right and there's ends the up being kind of a chase scene or whatever yeah no it becomes like, much more linear like a novel yeah. <laughs> where where so so they both both of those those books have this structure of the ordinary world is so extraordinary that we spend a lot of time there yes with a lot of kind of and there's a build but it's more episodic it's more mm. of an episodic build than a kind of that led to that led to that Okay, so in a nutshell, if we were going to recap, that reads like a novel. What would be the, like the three key points that you would say when when if you're yeah. if you're someone who's doing creative nonfiction and you want your memoir to read like a novel, what are your top three tips for that? Um, I'm going to say um, a strong character with a limiting belief. So basically, that's the okay. Go ahead, and then that's number one. You can say something. About that. Well, I think what I was going to say is. Um, you talked about so we use wild in Buccaneer, and we just done our limiting belief um, lecture and yes. talked about what we thought her limiting belief was for her character. And then you just literally saw Cheryl Strayed talking literally about her thinking that um, yeah she she said she said I really felt like I couldn't survive if my mother without my mother. I couldn't survive that way with her. And she said, and I, and I, I didn't, that didn't really change until I stood on the bridge of the gods. And, you know, and, and that was, and which is sort of the, the final and battle. That, and that's her total arc in the book. And it's sort of what we've intuited. We had a slightly different wording. And she may have also, in all um, fairness. But that piece, I think, is the thing that makes specifics universal. Because it's the thing that gives us compassion into a real character. So when you're doing Mm -hmm. memoir, I think it's critical if you're doing something where you want it to feel like a story that you're not writing about a time in your life, but you're writing about a way of thinking that has changed, hopefully for the better, in a a process of the story. Yeah, exactly. And so then, so so there's the strong character with limiting belief. Mm -hmm. Then... And then through a, a causally related chain of scene, vivid scene, right? So that's number mm-hmm. two, a causally related chain of vivid scene. Um, three, they change dramatically. Or, and I'm sure it would probably work if they failed to change um, in, a, in a sort of a typical tragic way. Like, well, no, that, that one, that's a bad example. I was thinking of that. The documentary we saw, and what's it, what was it called? But they did change. Yeah, no, they completely did. It was just phenomenal. So I, I actually think, and it would be interesting, so I, I have not read enough memoir, but it would be interesting to see how many memoirs actually end as tragedies. And I'm defining a tragedy right now as a main character who fails to grow. Probably few. I just think very few people set out to be like, you know what I want to write about that time that I had this opportunity to change and I didn't. 
And if they do, then there's probably at least an overlay of the narrator has changed. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's a fascinating question. But there we go. So now, before we go in, I'll probably make you do some of the like a movie thing. Mm -hmm. But um, do you agree with me? I mean, without having to commit forever to these things. Well, I think that's this the definition of creative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um, I think the whole intention of the creative part of adding to nonfiction is about bringing in those human interaction elements to otherwise maybe data-driven content, right? Yeah, and I will say that there's a lot of really interesting creative stuff that pulls in other elements. I mean, like I mentioned, the Argonauts. Right. Um, there's Natalie Sorote has a book. I forget what it's called now, although I could probably put it It'll in be the in the show notes. And it's, um, it's a dialogue with herself and herself, I think. It's mm -hmm. like, anyway, she sort of interviews herself, and um, that's a really, like, fascinating... Um, but kind of innovative structure. And again, novels can be fascinating and innovative structures as well. But, you know, so it's none of these things just to cage anything. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but just to say that I think memoir can do some really interesting Well, I just feel things. like, you know, I remember, so I went to Mills 2003 to 2005. <laughs> and, you know, we were really looking at creative nonfiction at that point in a, in a particular way. It felt sort of new mm. at that little juncture. I mean, it wasn't entirely obviously because things have been around forever, but the idea that you would have like maybe an essay that was really a reflection on a, a period of your life. I remember I uh, wrote about sort of thinking about my grandmother who had some mental health challenges and myself, right? And sort of reflecting between you know, someone who struggles with anxiety and depression, these two different pieces of who she was, who the story was of, of her in my life um, and sort of my own identity. So there was definitely stuff about identity, but there was a through line that was a, a narrative piece. And it wasn't just like, here's how I felt, document. So I just feel like the, some of the goal of creative nonfiction at some point is, is to tell that kind of story yeah. like because memoir is not a biography autobiography either either like autobiography right. is like this whole other thing all i'm saying is i think there's a really interesting range of things that something can do that's super creative and maybe like poetic or these other things but you know and and but not necessarily like a novel and, and another thing is like essays for example i think essays and i think some novels are now being essayistic but right. i think Essays do this other thing where the the process of grappling with the question is on the page. Do you know what I mean? The, a well-edited process of grappling with the question. Yes, yes. A performative even process. And maybe that process is edited like a novel. <laughs> but all I'm saying <laughs> right. is there, there's a lot of actually interesting forms and tools and stuff that narrative nonfiction mm -hmm. takes on that are different than the like a novel. Yeah. I think, though, like, what I'm... I'm kind of going back to it, at least the thing that I can grok in our conversation <laughs> is that piece again. I think there really is this deep piece about the limiting belief being central to the organization of mm -hmm. that. And it's so that when you are choosing what scenes to include, because that's always the question, right? What do I summarize in my memoir and what, what do I show in scene? Yeah, or just skip. Or skip altogether, what do I need yeah. to include? Like those questions are sort of answered if you're really focused on this particular idea. Yeah. I thought this thing, 
there were these moments that tested that thinking where I did, couldn't let go of it, where I failed to see any other possible way of being. Here's the moment when I started to understand this wasn't really working for me. And, you know, finally the moment where I was able to let go of that thinking. And so suddenly you can go like, okay, well, I have this great scene at a pool bar, right? A pool hall. And it's so funny and wonderful and vivid. And it's not about that belief. Right. Right. It's a great editing tool. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So now we have like a minute to, f- to focus on the other Which side. Which seems appropriate. <laughs> so what does it mean? And I'm at, so let me start by asking you sincerely, what do you think people mean when I tell them my, my novel's plot and they say, ooh, that sounds like a movie. And they mean it in a kind way, clearly. They're not like I think it means uh, it is easy for them to conceive of the story. And, I, and that it's like you get it, right? You get it pretty quickly. Um, so I think that's the number one thing is actually that the concept is quickly integrated into someone. And you would think that maybe is a high concept, right? right. Like I ha- I'm able to, in fact, I mean, in fact, that I am able to tell them something about it. Yes. And they're, and they also kind of, I think they wonder like, mm-hmm. oh, what, what happens? Exactly. So I think that that's the main thing that people are actually responding to. It's a, it's a easy, and I don't mean it's a s- simple or uninteresting. I, I just mean it's easy to feel like whether you do or not understanding this story, right? And so, oh, and I want to see how that plays out. What makes the story easy to understand? Well, I think you get a sense of uh, well, give me what you tell people when they're saying, "Ooh, that looks sounds like a movie." Should I? <laughs> Um, I say something like, uh, my, this, my character as a teenager is in a car accident that kills her former movie star mother and takes her, takes away her memory, her neurologist father. And she reverse engineer her memory using a backlog of experiments he had from her childhood about her vision. And 10 years later, she starts to suspect that what she knows about the night of the accident isn't what happened. And she goes back to try to recover that memory and find out if her mother really died or if she walked away. Okay, so famous mom feels uh, visual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the car, the crash is visual. The um, experiments feels visual, right? We don't actually even know what those experiments are, but we imagine a lab. We imagine those things. So I think that when you're talking about stories that are like that, and there are lots of places that you can quickly imagine in your mind's eye as someone's telling you that, I think that's when you're going to get feels like a movie. When you say things like, um, you know, she wants to go back and figure out what really happened, that is genre, right? It feels like a particular genre and, and so that it has this question built into it. So I think with movie, when I say it reads like a movie, well, different things. An idea, like we just talked about, uh, sounds like a movie when it's in- easily to, uh, easy to understand and visual. Those would be my two things. Now, sometimes when people are writing, when they say, like, it reads like a movie, I don't actually think that's a compliment. <laughs> right. And I'm not saying it isn't because some people really enjoy reading things that read like a movie. Right. But I think oftentimes what what's happening in those is that you, and this is why I was pressing on your um, distance and intimacy mm-hmm. thing, because I think movies 
are a little bit more distant than novels, right? So Certainly scripts, maybe. But I think that when we read novels that really give us access to other people's feelings, we're just so much more engrossed and we're so much more engaged with them. When we watch a movie, sometimes we feel like we can know what someone else is doing, but we're still using a really limited set of cues. Mm. And so even if we have a massive 20-foot-tall face where one little tiny muscle twitches, like we're reading in... We're talking about you, Emma Thompson, in Remains of the Day. Yes. What we're talking about, though, is, is that we're projecting onto that, and I think we know we're projecting onto that. Um... I think movies can be hugely emotional and all of that stuff. But I think the main difference is with a novel, I think when it's like, oh, it's like a movie, it means that it's a little bit more emotionally distant. Interesting. Well, I hope that's not the case. Well, so the, the difference between a concept and the actual execution. Right. That's what. Right, right. I could be totally wrong, and I would hope you email us and tell me how I've got that all <laughs> messed up. Tell Angie how she's wrong by emailing questions at... Storymakershow.com. We're going to wrap up with a really quick steal this, amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and flyings and things that you would like to take and make your own? Well, I'm still actually working with the Scott Young, Scott Young Ultra Learning. So I'm actually right now in the middle of designing my first ultra learning um, project. <laughs> well, I mean, the beauty of it is it can be whatever size you want. So I am doing a small automation project um, but it's defined by his framework of how to design a learning project and so I'm going to be you know spending like basically like a week probably designing uh, and one of the things I love about it is you start by learning what you need to learn so you kind of do what he does this is the meta learning piece and so there's multiple steps to this process so I'm going to be engaging with that well, that is kind of inspiring me to share differently than I usually do. Um, one that, and I, it took me a minute to be like, where did I hear this? Because, so this was a podcast um, interview with Steve Robbins, the get it done guy. And he was talking about an idea from Mark Forsyth, who is another mm-hmm. sort of to-do list person. And the idea was you take five different tasks you have to do. And you work on each one for five minutes. And when the timer goes off, you just drop it and go to the next one. And you do that, you know, for 25 minutes. And then you take a five-minute break. And then you can do it again. And um, it sounds insane. And I know for you it would be a, it would be a complete frustrating disaster. But for me, it's really kind of fantastic. I have done, started doing it with, like, three things in seven minutes. So, like, I mean, five minutes is super short. But things like pay, bill paying email responses, um, you know, picking something up quickly, like things that actually don't need to take very long um, or even just or things that you're kind of resistant to and then you just make headway on it. And so then you do five minutes and then you do another five minutes. And in an hour, you've kind of made significant headway on and completed some uh, of a like a long list of tasks. So this is a very practical thing, but I've just found I really love it. And what I'm what I'm trying to do is... Um, become effective in this way so that I can really consolidate my administrative stuff mm-hmm. and really open up my writing time. All right. 
Well, fantastic. We're both doing some kind of production uh, productivity approach. And we hope you are too. 